Welcome to weekly messages from the pulpit of Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill. Find out more at gracewaydc.com. Throughout our study of Joseph, we've seen that the Bible is directly applicable to our lives. The same is true this week, where we see how God used Joseph to prepare Egypt for coming difficulty through stewardship. Whether in times of want or plenty, we are to do three things. Work fervently, save frugally, and give faithfully. Here's Pastor Brad Wells with a message called Positioned for Deliverance, Stewarding Abundance. It was a fitful night, and the king, the pharaoh, was terrified. Once again, God had sent a dream. Now, we all have dreams. We all have dreams. Most of the time for anxiety or eating too late or getting off our schedule or somebody getting in our head. But now the whole nation of Egypt was on edge because Pharaoh was demanding what this dream meant. And his chief butler that had gotten in trouble and been imprisoned two years earlier remembered. There was a guy in the dungeon whose name was Joseph, Joseph Israel, that interpreted dreams. And he told me what my dream meant. And another guy, the baker, which it didn't turn out so well for him. And let's send for him. And last week we saw that God brought Joseph right from the dungeon into a place of distinction and prominence. And he just had time to shave and put on a fresh robe. It seems like Joseph has trouble with these robes, all right, throughout his story. And he comes to this place of distinction, and he hears the dream of terror. And this dream of terror, as you remember, there were seven fat cows eating grass on the edge of the Nile River. And then seven skinny cows rose up. You know, there's a brand of dairy products called Skinny Cow these days. They rose up and ate the fat cows. But they didn't gain any weight. I think that's why they use that brand. And Pharaoh awoke and he was scared and he knew that this was significant. But he didn't know what it meant. And finally, he fell asleep again. And then this time, seven great heads of grain rose up, maybe wheat or barley or something like that. They were rich and strong and full and healthy. But then seven withered, blasted grains rose up and ate up the fat grains, but didn't gain any weight themselves. And he awoke, and he was scared, and he called for all the people to come, and nobody could interpret. But here comes Joseph, and he's got the answer. And we saw that last week. He said, listen, this is none other but the hand of the Lord, and he is revealing to you, the ruler of the world, the global leader, the Pharaoh, what God's about to do. And God is going to send seven years of abundance and the land would flourish. But then right after that, there would be seven years 
of scarcity. And it's going to devour all the abundance from beforehand. Now, this is not just a history lesson that we need to get all the details right about, although we should get the details right. But it is something that reveals the hand of God. There are seasons in your life, there are cycles in a nation or a business or a company. And this is about preparation. And so I want to present to you three points today. And these three points are points of action. But before I give you the three acts or the points of action, I want to give you three facts that sort of just jump out to me. These three facts, number one is God gave a heads up. God told the leader of the world, the Pharaoh, what he was about to do. That's very interesting to me. The second thing is that God gave his man, that's Joseph, the plan for survival. If you look at Genesis uh, chapter 41, if you would, Genesis 41. Everybody doing okay with me here today? Genesis 41, and I want you to see verse 33. Genesis 41, verse number 33. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise. And I believe that God is still looking for men and women discreet and wise. Are you discreet and wise? And set him over the land of Egypt. It's a place of distinction, a place of power. Jump down to verse 39. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. And everybody knew that Joseph was unusual. And so they all agreed that he should be set over the house. Look at verse 40. Thou shalt be over my house. Now he rose to prominence over his own father's house, Israel, and the 12 sons. That's what got him into trouble. And he rose to distinction in Potiphar's house. And now he rises again uh, over Pharaoh's house. According to all thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. He says, so I'm, I'm going to maintain my position. I'm not yielding my position. But you're the guy. You have wisdom and discretion. And wisdom is simply this, doing the right and the best thing. Wisdom says, what is the right and the best thing? Now, God gave Pharaoh knowledge, but God gave Joseph wisdom. And discretion is a little bit different. It is avoiding the wrong or the lesser thing. Now, this week, you need both wisdom and distinction. You need to know what is the best and the right thing, and you also need discretion to know what not to say, what not to do, and what to avoid, because they are both wrong or lesser. So God gave his God gave the plan to the world leader. God gave the plan for survival to his man Joseph. And the third thing, God did not stop the famine from coming. Now, God wanted the people to be saved. 
So it seems like God should just step in and deliver corn to everybody or wheat or sourdough bread or, you know, whatever they need. But that's not what God did. He said, I'm going to use people. And if those people don't rise to the occasion, it's not going to work. You know, if you look through the Bible, this happens over and over and over again. There's a calamity coming, but God raises somebody up and gives them wisdom and discretion for that moment. I believe that's what God is doing today. I think that's what this body is about, seeing what God's about to do and gaining the wisdom and the discretion to do the right thing. So those are the three facts that really just sort of stand out to me. Now, in times of scarcity and abundance, or sometimes what we refer to is feast or famine, this is the pinnacle story right here. There are three things that you need to do, three acts. Number one, you need to work fervently. You need to work fervently. Now, sometimes we think, oh, I need to work because I'm poor or I need to pay a bill or because somebody told me to do, but that's not exactly right. We need to work because God created us to work, and work is not a curse. As a matter of fact, God gave work to Adam and Eve before they fell. Adam was to dress and keep the garden. That is, he's to groom and protect that garden. He failed in his job, and so was he was kicked out of it. But we need to be working. I would suggest absolute minimum, you should be working 40 hours a week. You say, well, my job only gives me 30 or 25 or whatever. That's okay. You've got those extra 5 or 10 or 12 or however many hours to start your own business or to work on this or that, you should be active and productive. So work fervently. And that is to maximize productivity. Not all uh, busyness or activity is profitable. You should maximize productivity. And you should schedule your activity. It's good to say, I'm going to start at 8, even if it's your own business, and you could start at 9 or 10. You start at whatever time it is. And maybe you need to uh, shift your schedule um, to maximize productivity. But you should start at that time. You should uh, take a break at this time, and you should work till this time. Even if there's something, uh, there's nothing you can really do right now, I'm going to work to this time. Find something to do. Because otherwise, we always cut the corners. Don't cut the corners. I talked to a, um, a manager of McDonald's uh, one time, and his name is Randy. I said, Randy, tell me something I don't know. And that's sort of a line I use many times when I talk to people. And Randy said, well, I've um, worked with seven different McDonald's, French, uh, not French fries, but franchises. And he said, uh, you would be surprised how people don't know how to do regular activities. I, said, I might not be surprised. He said... Um, What I start everybody at, whether they're the manager or technician or whatever position, I always start with sweeping the floor. And they'll come in. I see them come in. I'll have somebody go seat them over at a booth, and I'm going to meet them in just a second. And the first thing I do is I come over and say, you know, would you mind 
sweeping the floor real quick. And he said, half the time, they are just repulsed. I've got a degree in this and this. And he's like, those are not the people I need. I need people that are productive and can see a problem. And he said, then I watch to see if they know how to sweep the floor. Everybody should know how to sweep the floor. I went, how do you sweep the floor? He said, the secret to sweeping the floor is you start in the corners. When I see somebody starts over here or over there, they don't know what they're doing. And they're just going to be active and not necessarily productive. So start uh, being productive. Maximize that effort and productivity. Work fervently. In Proverbs chapter 30, in verse number 24 through 28, God gives us an illustration of four little things, four animals that, uh, this is so enlightening. First is the ants. It says, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. And we need this wisdom. Elbow your neighbor and say, we need this. We need this. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Okay. Here it is. The first one in verse number 25 is the ant. The ants are a people not strong. Yet they prepare their meat in the summer. And that's the subject we're kind of working with here, preparation. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. That is, they have everything they need, but yet they harvest and store all these things. That's what we need to do. We need to maximize productivity in times of abundance. Now, you are living in a time of abundance. Maybe it's an abundance of money. Some, some of you are like, I am not living in a time of abundance of money. Then maybe it's an abundance of time. Maybe it's an abundance of health. Maybe it's an abundance of instruction. But you know what an unwise person does? And I didn't want to say fool because then we know we're not fools. But if you don't have enough wisdom, you know what you do? You squander your abundance, striving for what you can't get or don't have. Youth squander the time of abundance of health and abundance of instructors and strive for money. And the best they can do is whatever number it is, but that's really nothing because you would gladly give away whatever number of money, whatever number it came up, for health or for a class and for some instruction or coaching. Then, then you get maybe to uh, uh, middle age or early adulthood, and you have another time of abundance, but you miss that. So there's all these different times, but you must maximize productivity in what you have. And I want you to think about that just for a second, and I want you to tell your neighbor what place of abundance, what time of abundance, what are you basking in right now? What do you have in abundance that you should be preparing and storing up with and for? All right, go ahead and chat with your neighbor real quick. I'll just give you 10 seconds. What have you got? What have you got? What are you, what, what do you have an abundance of? What do you have an abundance of? Uh, 
All right, I'm going to have to cut you off here. All right. Sorry, that's all the time I can give you. Let's go on to the next verse, and it's an, another animal. This is a coney. Now, a coney is like a groundhog, um, or it, it's over in the Middle East. We saw, Deborah and I saw them when we were in Israel, and it, it's pretty neat. But a coney, they are not a prepared people, but they are a fortified people. See, it says, conies are but a feeble folk, yet they, uh, yet they make their houses in the rocks. So they're fortified. And that's what we need to do. We need to be a prepared people. We need to be a fortified people, building in strength. Look at the third one. It's the locust. And it says, the locust have no king, yet go they forth all of them by bands. And I don't know if you've ever seen a a locust plague or a grasshopper plague or, or something like that. And it's an amazing thing. What did we have just a couple years ago here in D.C.? The cicadas. That was an amazing thing. Wow, it happens every 17 years. Is that right? It's just an amazing thing. And they all go out and they do that. And it's just, wow. If you've seen grasshoppers or locusts fly, they fly like this and then they fly like that. Kind of like fish and birds. You see them do that. What? How do they get that signal? And what's going on? So the third one, they are a coordinated people, a coordinated people, and they cooperate with each other. See, the ants, they collect during times of abundance. The conies, they construct in safety and strength. And the locusts, they cooperate with others. If we could learn these tenets, oh, my goodness, we could be a, a productive people. The fourth one is the spiders. And the spiders are an aspiring people in verse number 28. The spiders take hold with her the spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Now, notice the spider is not uh, working uh, necessarily like the ant, the coney, or the locust, but the spiders are an aspiring people. And they go right into the king's palaces. They're in the White House, they're in uh, uh, all the places of prominence. They conquer or control by taking these great risks. Uh, they personally take that responsibility, working with their own hands to weave this web and to uh, place themselves in this, in this environment. And I want to I wanna say, do it with your hands. Whatever you're trying to do, trust people, but verify. Don't just blame them and just go about your business. Verify. Take it upon yourself. Take that personal responsibility and be present. Be present wherever you're at. Be present. Okay, I'll just give you about 30 seconds. Review the four animals and talk about what you need to work on to maximize your productivity. Is it being prepared, fortified, coordinated, or aspiring? Collecting, constructing, cooperating, or conquering? Go ahead and chat with your neighbor real quick. Work fervently. What do you need to grow in? What do you need to develop in? Now, remember that Joseph is standing there before the Pharaoh. He's got a clean shave. He's got a fresh robe. And he is standing before the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh is still nervous. He's still anxious because he had these terrifying dreams. I think off to the side, all the council and all the, uh, the people that are, are there in the, in the palace, they're nervous. Okay, what is this Joseph guy 
that just came from the dungeon. What is he going to say? What are we going to do? What new policy is this? Basically, Joseph said, we've got seven years of abundance and plenty. We need to work fervently. But secondly, he's saying we need to save frugally. Save and be frugal. But that is, we need to minimize spending. And the way you minimize spending is you submit to a budget. I just whisper to your neighbor there just for a second. Have you submitted to a budget or have you not? Are you a rebel against the budget or have you submitted against your budget? Go ahead and talk to your neighbor there. Have you or not? Minimize spending. So Joseph says to Pharaoh and to all the kingdom, and God has preserved for you and I these two elements. We need to schedule our activity and maximize productivity. And then we need to submit to a budget. We need to minimize our spending. And I would recommend that you have somebody help you with your budget because they can come in and they don't have all these emotional attachments to things and they can say, you don't need that, you don't need that, you don't need that. You're spending $25 a week on coffee. You can buy a whole coffee maker for $25 and it would pay for itself and just, what are you doing over here? And you get a lunch every day and it costs this much money. Can't you just bring a little bit of, and you're like, oh no, I can't, I can't. can't." But you have to submit to this budget to minimize your spending. Listen, you've got to be frugal. You've got to save. And you say, well, there's all this money. But see, God is revealing to Joseph and to you and me, this is not just a lesson of what happened, but what will happen. And it happens all these different times. There are seasons of life. There is an ebb and a flow. There is a feast and there is a famine. And so we must, we must, we must save frugally and minimize our spending. We have to ask, what do I have to have? What do I have to have? What do I need to have? What do I want to have? And what do I dream to have? And all of these things can play uh, into our, and should have some sort of traction in our budget. Now, we need to live as if Jesus will come in the next few minutes. Balanced with Jesus might not come for 100 or 200 years. Jesus gave the illustration of that when he talked about uh, the the ten virgins in, in the book of Matthew. And they had oil, and they were waiting for the bridegroom to come. And while they were, he was wait, they were waiting and waiting, they slept. And then in the town, everybody said, behold, he comes. He's coming. And they all awoke. And then five had oil. And five didn't have oil. And the ones that didn't have, they asked the others, can we take some of yours? And they said, we can't give you some of ours or we won't have any for us. And the whole lesson comes together when Jesus says, be ye ready. And we need to be prepared and we must be ready for when the Lord comes. So that's a balance of expectation right now and preparation. I need to be living that way. You must be living with this in mind. Now, I have told people for, I guess, 30 years 
that you should live with the 10-10-80 program. And probably a lot of you know that. The 10 is 10% I give to God. Very vital. And then another 10 I save for a rainy day or problems. And then I live on 80% or less because there'll be an emergency, because I'll want to help somebody do something, or I want to give an offering to some worthy cause, but I've got to keep under that 80%, 10, 10, 80. But Joseph takes it further. Joseph is not saying save 10%. He's saying save 20%. So I've given the first two points of the message, but they're really not the message. We all know I need to work fervently and maximize productivity, and I need to be frugal and save and minimize my spending. But this third point is the prominent point, and the last should be first and actually must be first. It can't be any other place. But here's our third point. I need to give faithfully. That is, I need to prioritize eternity. Prioritize eternity, which simply means put God first. Put God first. Genesis 47 and verse 26 is the verse I want you to hold on to. Make sure you don't miss this point. Genesis 47, 26, and it says, And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt unto this day. Now, this is, this is written by Moses 400 years later. But Joseph made it a law over the land in, of Egypt unto this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth part. So that's 20% except, and that's the point I want to draw your attention to, except the land of the priests only, which became not Pharaoh's. If you know the story, during the plenteous years, Joseph uh, gathered all this grain, and now uh, through archaeological finds, they have found these great um, places for storing the grain. It's not the pyramids, but other great places for storing and holding vast amounts of grain and then distributing it and eliminating um, a rush and uh, a mob so that the whole group coming in has to go through these narrow uh, chambers to receive their allotted portion. But verse 26 is really showing that Joseph created tax the tax-exempt status for religious organizations. Now, this is not all the priests of the Most High God. These would be just whoever. This is an amazing thing. Even a heathen nation, even a heathen nation will prosper when God's people observe the law of consecrated things. So I did a little bit of research and saw which nations give uh, tax credit or make religious organizations tax-exempt. And I was surprised. All the prosperous and wealthy nations. It's, It's almost universal. And those nations that are struggling, they do the opposite. I'll give you an illustration of that later. But I want to delve into the main part of the message, and here it is. This is God's law of consecrated things. This is the law of the first fruits. Now, as I studied this week, 
And I want to say it is the greatest privilege of my life to intercede for you and to study the Word of God day in and day out to present these great truths to you. I have preached about tithing and first fruits and all this sort of stuff many, many times. As a matter of fact, I've been asked by pastors, maybe in 100 or 150 churches, to come and preach about offerings and giving. So I've traveled not just the United States, but the world to to present my little bit of knowledge and, and what I've studied. But I, this week, have learned so much. Saturday morning, it shook me how much I didn't know. And I began to weep as I, well, I, I was uh, presenting this to my wife. I was like, this is amazing. How did I miss so much of this? And what I, what I, I know and I've said for, for years, but it just hit me again, the Word of God is safe for a toddler to play in, like a little puddle. But it is so deep and so vast that the greatest diver will never find its foundation, its spring, its wealth. And so let me present this to you. Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 3 talks about Cain and Abel. And here Cain and Abel come and they present an offering to the Lord. Now, you know that the very individual wording is so critical. And it says, and in process of time. It's not just beautiful flowery words to start a story like once upon a time, although that's good. But it's talking about just when he got to it. In process of time, it came to pass that Cain, that's the firstborn of Adam and Eve, brought of uh, the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. Now notice it's not at the first of the time. It's not the first fruits. It's not anything in spe- specifically. It's just an offering to the Lord. There's a little bit of an element of God when he made an offering for Adam and Eve to cover their sin. He slew a lamb and blood was shed. But notice the absence of the specific time and what order this came in. Now, by comparison, look at the next verse, Genesis 4 and verse number 4. And Abel, that's his brother, he also brought of, notice, the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. This is an amazing thing. Cain was rejected because he brought an offering that was both bloodless and it wasn't first. It was just when he got to it. It was the process of time. It was, it might have been the best, but it wasn't the first, which is what God wants. From the beginning, let me show it to you in Exodus 13. In Exodus 13, this is the giving of the law and God's people coming out of Egypt. And it says in verse number one, 13, one, and the Lord spake unto Moses saying, sanctify unto me all the, say it with me, firstborn. This is, this is how God works. And God's showing us this universal principle. All the firstborn whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. It's not, God is not saying, give it to me and it will become mine. God is saying, it is mine, present it to me. 
It is mine, sanctify it. And that word sanctify means two things. It means separation and elevation. It is distinct and unique. It's not common, and it's elevated. It's for a very specific purpose. Now, jump down to verse number 12. <laughs> that thou shalt set apart unto the Lord all that openeth the matrix, and every firstling that cometh of a beast which thou hast, the males, shall be the Lord's. God is saying, these are God's. You've got to set them apart. They belong to God. Now, the specific illustration is in verse number 13. And every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. That is, you when you have these, these donkeys and and you want to use the donkey, you must redeem. You've got to buy the donkey back with a lamb. Now, this is huge. Then thou shalt um, bring with a lamb. And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck. And all the firstborn of man amongst thy children shalt thou redeem. In other words, these lambs are to redeem something back from the Lord, both of man and of beast. That means all the firstborn um, are going to come to dad one day and say, <clears throat> you know, dad, uh, we, we do this thing with the, uh, the lambs and they're, and I was just thinking that I'm the firstborn and like, um, <clears throat> what do we do? I mean, dad, not that I'm accusing anybody of anything, but, uh, What's the deal here? And the whole thing is you give the clean for the unclean. The donkey was unclean, but the, the farmer, the man, could redeem that first donkey, and he, he can't sacrifice an unclean donkey to the Lord, but he redeems it with a lamb, which is clean. Now, I want you to think about this. When we are born in our own sin as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, are we clean or are we unclean? We're unclean. We have this lineage and the heritage of sinfulness and rebellion against God that's passed on to us. A great evidence for this is, do you have to teach children how to be bad? No, <laughs> they know how to do it. It's in them. But you do have to teach them, teach them to do right and to share and to tell the truth. You have to teach people how to do right. So think about this, redemption, clean, unclean. So someone, something had to redeem us, the unclean. And that's where God and Jesus Christ comes in. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And so God gave the firstborn, the Lamb, to redeem you and I, the donkeys of this world. And God purchased us. You know what? Jesus Christ is the tithe of God. And he's redeemed us. And he's purchased us. And now we step into his place and we're redeemed. We are clean. Now, there's the other element here. And that is in verse number 14 that either it's redeemed or it's doomed. It's redeemed or it's doomed. 
That is, you can enter into a blessing or you can be broken. It's a blessing or broken. I'll tell you that in just a second. Let me give you another illustration. I want you to think about Jericho. Here comes the God's people, the children of Israel. They're coming out of Egypt. They're slaves. They don't have tools. They don't have skills. They don't have these things, and they're coming into the land of promise, and it's a picture of you and me coming into God's provision. They come to the first great obstacle, which is the city of Jericho. And they come to Jericho, and God says, take the city, march around it the seven times for the seven days, and blow the trumpets, and then everything belongs to me. The gold, the silver, the the clothing, the whole thing, it all belongs to God. We are to present it to God. Now think about this. They need clothing. They need gold. They need silver. They need stuff. But God says, put me first. And God says, trust me, and by faith, present it to me. Now, it would make sense. Brother Bobby, it would make sense if we were having uh, 10 children come into a situation and, and do this exact scenario that we would say, at the end, you'll have 10. Pick out the best one, present it to me, or pick out the last one, or pick out the first one after you get all 10. But God doesn't say that. He says, the first one belongs to me. And we know the story of Achan. And Achan was Achan for all the stuff. And so he stole it and hid it in his tent. And nobody knew. And they went on to the next city to conquer, which was Ai. And they were defeated. As a matter of fact, they were so soundly defeated, they turned and fled. And then all the people said, God promised us victory everywhere we went. What happened? There's sin in the camp. We've got to take care of this. And God had not cursed them. They had entered into the curse. You must remember that this land, this world that we live in is cursed. God did not design it to have thorns and thistles, and God did not design the animals to devour one another. God designed it to be a perfect paradise. But it is under this curse until the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, comes back to bring peace to the earth. Until then, we'll arise with this plan, that plan. It might work a little bit, but it's going to fall down again. But one day the Prince is coming, the Lord Jesus Christ. But God said, give it to me first. And then go to the next city by faith. Whatever you give to God first releases his blessing and protects you throughout all the next ventures that lie before you. It was from the beginning with Cain and Abel. It's with the lamb and the donkey. It's with the conquest of Jericho and Ai. And it's even after the captivity. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Now, Malachi chapter 3, everybody still rolling with me here? Malachi chapter number three, and this is so rich and deep. It's just amazing. I praise the Lord that I can even comprehend this a little bit. But verse number eight, it says, will a man rob God? And that's a good question. Can can little man steal from God? 
Yet ye have robbed me, God says. But ye say, wherein have we robbed you? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. And verse number nine, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now, I want you to understand, it's not that God's throwing lightning bolts of curse down upon you when you don't give to the Lord. It's actually that you just enter into the curse that's already here. You enter into the deception. You enter in and you are deceived yourself. Verse number 10, here's the solution. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith. I love that phrase, prove me now. God says, prove me. He says, test me. Try me. Give it a try. Prove me. Now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. I want to submit to you, I believe this. I believe that I can enter into the curse by stealing from God and robbing him. And I believe that I can enter into the blessing by presenting to the Lord the first fruits. It's all before us. There's two testimonies that I have heard for 30 years. The first one is, I am so blessed. I'm able to give to the Lord, and we, my wife and I and my kids or whoever, I'm just, the Lord is just blessing. Those are the people that give God the first fruits. The other testimony is this. <laughs> we, we can't afford to tithe. We, we, we have this bill, we have that bill and the other bill. It doesn't matter if you're making 10,000 or 20 or 50 or 100 or 200 or whatever. It doesn't matter. You'll never be able to tithe until you tithe. But once you start tithing, once you start giving to God the first fruits, you enter into his blessing. Now, you might be thinking, and this is a rational argument. Now, wait a minute. This is before the cross, and you are absolutely right. Aren't we now in the age of grace, and has God not empowered us. Absolutely. God has empowered us, and he's broken sin's curse, but there is a curse all around us. And the love of money is the root of all evil. And we break the shackles and the bonds that are all around us with, uh, with giving and with sacrificial offerings to the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, in verse number 13, the Bible says this, and I want you to write down this verse. We went over it last week in our uh, discipleship class. It says, Do ye not know that they which minister about the holy things, think of Joseph and the priests, think of all the way up till now, live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. So this is a New Testament book, letter, written to the church at Corinth, referring to all these Old Testament things. Now, the next verse is key, 9.14. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. And your key words are right there, even so. Even so. It, was, it happened that way. It's supposed to happen this way. 
in the church age. Now, here's what you need to realize. God will never take second place. God will never take second place. God is always first. He's always perfect. And if you don't give God first place in your life, that means he has no place in your life. God is first of all. The first commandment you could summarize by saying, put God first. You should have no other gods before me. God must be first. And when we don't put first, put God first, we enter into the curse. So the question might come to you, well, how does all this work? Well, tithe simply means a tenth. So if you were to get a contract and do a job and maybe uh, you're going to paint a house and you spent $1,000 on paint and then you spent $1,000 on laborers and tools. So you got $2,000 invested. And then you calculate, so you'll make $1,000. So your increase when you get paid the $3,000 is how much? How much is your increase? $1,000. Your increase is 1000 $2,000 was expenses. You paid the paint store and you paid your laborers and you bought some ladders and stuff. Your increase is $1,000. You pay tithes to the Lord on your increase. And you need to give God the first. Now, I remember my mom would pay me 10 cents to wash a window and that sort of thing. And I thought, man, I am going to be a window washer one day because, man, I'm getting rich. But she would pay me in pennies. So I could learn the, the, um, the secret to working in little stacks first. <laughs> and, uh, and then she would teach me, well, these are, each penny is one-tenth of a dime, and so you're going to give to the Lord that, that first penny, that first penny. And that's one of the great secrets. You must realize that no matter how much money you make, whether it's 10 cents or $10,000, or $100,000, or a million dollars. Whatever your level of income, it doesn't matter. You must give God first, first place. So my question, does God have first in your life, first place? Well, how do you know what's first? And I don't think, you know, the angels are like looking to what comes first or second because we have all these bill pay things and your electric is taken out and this is taken out. So Listen, God is not going to be like, oh, but it's the heart that God wants to see. God wants to see your heart. And so what you need to do is you need to bring it to the Lord, the first thing. What's the first? It's the first thing that leaves my account. It's the first thing. When you get paid, I think you ought to set up your schedule, your bill pay, your whatever, whatever, so that God gets it first. Because whatever you give to God, it blesses the rest. And we're not just talking about money. Remember we said time and talent and health and everything. Give God first. We worship on the first day of the week. It belongs to God. We give God the first of our income. We give God the first of our opportunities. We give God first your day tomorrow as it starts, your work week, really. Give God first. Get the word of God. Say, God, speak to me. It's yours. Pray. Go over your little list. Sit before the Lord and say, Lord, instruct me. Show me what to do. 
Because if you don't, if you don't, there is a devourer. We're in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 11. And it says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. There is a curse. There is a devourer. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time of in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, God is saying there is a natural loss. There is a natural scarcity. There's a devourer that comes upon the fruits of the, of the field. And there is loss that will come to your time. It will come to your money. It will come, and there's a devourer that just seems to eat up your resources. But God can rebuke this if we enter into sacrificial offerings and giving to the Lord. Now, we're talking about not just preparing for disaster. We're not talking about just preparing for disaster. Anyone could do that. We're talking about somebody that is discreet and wise. And so we're not just preparing for disaster. We are positioning ourselves for deliverance. We are positioning ourselves. How do I do that? Well, first, I've got to work hard and and I've got to uh, uh, maximize productivity. Secondly, I've got to minimize spending. Those are good. But here's the secret is I've got to give faithfully. I've got to prioritize eternity. Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10. Don't lose me. Stay with me here. It says this, honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. You tithe on the increase. On your painting project, you don't tithe on the 3,000. You tithe on the increase, the first fruits of all thine increase, the 1,000. Verse number 10 says, so shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God wants to bless. God wants to bless your time. God wants to bless your ministry. God wants to bless your home. But there is a curse, and the curse is upon those that reject God, neglect God, or try to put God second. We put God first. Are you putting him first? There was another Joseph that had this same idea. He was really second in command after Vladimir Lenin. And Joseph Stalin implemented a five-day work week. For 11 years, Russia had no weekends. And you thought your life was rough there. He also implemented many different national five-year goals. And one of the slogans that Lenin implemented in the Communist Manifesto and then Stalin began to tout over and over again is communism begins where atheism begins. You can't have this communist society that they had imagined while people live and follow God. So opposite of what Joseph Israel did and and really helped out those that had faith and gave them religious tax exemption, he actually, born and raised in religion, kicked out of two different seminaries at a young age, demanded that all the food be given to the government, And when the farmers resisted and revolted a little bit, ended up sending 200,000 
farmers and a lot of religious people, pastors and uh, devout people up to Siberia and into exile and into prison or execution. At the end of his reign, Joseph Stalin's reign, the 47,000 churches of Russia were reduced to 200. As he believed, the people would give up the crazy idea of God as a baby would give up its rattle and just simply grow out of it. But it wasn't true at all. The nation was left in absolute ruins and poverty. And by conservative estimates, 3.2 million Ukrainians died in the famines that followed, mostly because the very best farmers were sent to Siberia or to prison. And the new farmers didn't know what to do and didn't have personal ownership of that land. Disaster came. You know what he broke? He broke this offer to the Lord, the first fruits. He denied that there even was a Lord. And everything comes to us. Now, I'm not sure what the country is going to, our nation is going to do. We are going to be patriots. We are going to be good citizens. We're going to do the best we can. We are going to put God first. We are going to enter into his blessing. We are going to enter into the provision of the Lord. Don't make the mistake of saying, I'm going to give to the church. Don't give to the church. The church has not power to bless you. Don't give to the pastor or, or to me. Or Give to the Lord. Give to the Lord. Now, you give to the Lord by giving through your church in the place of worship where God is blessing you. That's, where, that's how you do it. But as you do that, you'll be blessed. And it's, it's just this simple. It's as simple as this. You can be blessed or you can be broken. You can be redeemed or you can revolt and go into disaster. So my question, are you positioned for disaster or for deliverance? What do you want deliverance in? Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's your devotion to the Lord. Maybe it's finance or food. Maybe it's some other element. I don't know what it is. Yes, work fervently. Yes, save frugally. But you must give faithfully. You must put God first. There's a greater disaster than even what Egypt faced. It's of eternal consequence. And the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his life that we might be delivered, that we might escape eternal damnation from the lake of fire like that unclean donkey of Exodus 13 that had to be redeemed by the clean lamb. You must re be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's like the death of the firstborn in Egypt. We can only be delivered by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. We, the unclean, must be redeemed by Jesus, the clean lamb of God. 
But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, gave his only begotten son, that's God's lamb, that's God's first fruit, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Have you entered into God's blessing? Have you entered into everlasting life? I'm not saying we can buy our way to heaven by giving something to God. Listen, God's done all the purchasing already. By faith, we must repent of our sin and trust Jesus Christ receiving that and then follow him like Joseph. Jesus is our great deliverer, even Jesus who delivered us from the wrath to come. Just stand with me. In Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13, I mentioned Jesus is our deliverer. And he's on his way. We don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we must be positioned for deliverance or be lost. Have you been delivered? Have you repented of your sin? Have you put your faith and trust in the gospel? If you have not positioned yourself for deliverance, do it today. Disaster is coming, and Jesus is the only deliverer. Jesus the righteous, the pure and perfect Lamb of God. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, do this today. You need to pray from your, from your heart, God, I know I'm a sinner. I am unclean before you. And God, I'm asking that you would save me. Father, would you redeem me with the precious blood of Jesus? I believe Jesus was born of a virgin. I believe that Jesus lived a perfect and a sinless life. And I believe that he's coming again one day. And Lord, I want to be ready. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and as my Savior. Pray that from your heart. And then Christian, analyze. You might not be doing well in the first point or you might not be doing well in the second point but you've got to do well in that third point which really is the first put God first thank you for listening and we hope you were helped by that message from Pastor Brad Wells reach out to us anytime at gracewaydc.com or visit us in person Sundays at 11 Thursdays at 7. Until next time, this has been Graceway Baptist Church on Capitol Hill, helping you make a difference. Mm -hmm.